A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the Race Across America mobile studios at the Doubletree in Annapolis, Maryland, we're here with uh, new record holders, Team Beamer, who uh, set a pretty blinding race across America, averaging 24.91 miles an hour, set the new average speed record. They also set a time record at five days, three hours, 42 minutes, and uh, we're here with a whole bunch of the team members. Let's uh, pass the mic and uh, have you introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Chris DeMarkey. Michael Olheiser. Joshua Stockinger. Craig Streit. And on the other side of the room, we have... Carl Bordine. Kurt Broadhag. Tony Restuccia. So, looks like seven... So, Chris, let's start with you. You've been out here a number of times on a four-person relay. What was it that really motivated you to come out and race as an eight? Because that looks like a logistical nightmare to me, especially if you really want to set a record and go fast. You know, um, going talking about the eight-man uh, versus the four-man, we talked about it 
for several weeks. Um, and yes, logistical nightmare to go fast. But our faith in Tony Restuccio to put something together and Kurt to to back him up and come up with a plan um, made it for an easy decision. Not to mention um, the ability to do this race and do it in try to do it in record time at the moment and you get twice as much sleep and twice as less riding was very appealing now tony your name came up as put this together are you like the logistical king on on stuff like this well there's actually too many logistics for one person to do it i think um you know i i kind of focus more on like the racing logistics the strategy of how long riders are out um, how many vehicles we have, um, how often people get to go to sleep. Um, there's, there's still so much more though, that even I don't deal with like, you know, what's in each vehicle. And it, like Ken does a lot of that. Um, but yeah, as far as like the strategy that the racers see, um, that's kind of what I, I deal with the most. So I'd like to go into depth in that, but Bill did say he would kill me if we, uh, you know, went that route. So he got the message from me pretty clearly. <laughs> so Kurt uh you guys put a lot of faith in in each other and I guess one thing that really sticks out to me in relay is generally somebody has a bad day or a bad pull and it doesn't seem like you guys ever did no we really didn't um one thing with our rotation is since we had four people if someone had a bad pull um someone could always cover but we all ride together. We're all teammates. We all know each other. And I don't think there's one pull at all that someone had to cover for somebody else. So no. it was pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and one thing I want to touch on, which we haven't really touched on before is I think we have the record for, for not only having the fastest time, but probably the smallest budget and the smallest crew. Um, we always pride ourselves on doing this as minimal as possible and the money that we have extra to raise for our charity. And our, our budget this year, I haven't crunched the numbers, it's probably like $55,000 for an eight-man team that's that's unheard of. And the other thing is we have 12 crew members, and for an eight-man team, that's also unheard of. So we have a combination of like a couple of vets that we've had, but then also we have um, three or four people that we didn't even know that came in, and uh, I put an ad out on Facebook. And uh, they came in, they answered the ad, we met them the day of the race, and, and we all meshed together, which is a pretty amazing accomplishment, something that, you know, if you think about it, five, six days in a car with people you don't even know and you have all the faith in, um, yeah, we're all riders, but we have crew members that, that helped us out just as much. So we have eight people, but then we have additional 12 people. So we have 20 people that were all, you know, a big part of this. So interesting talking about the crew and please tell me your name again. Carl, so uh, something that came up that I want to bring up in the award ceremony tonight is uh, one of the crew came up and told us that uh, from Oceanside to wherever you made your last switch, he did 500 bike exchanges. Uh, and that's only one of the crew. Yeah, the crew did an amazing job with those exchanges. I mean, they got out of the car so many more times than the riders. Um, blows me away how much work they did behind the scenes too, not, let alone those actual transitions. But it's also the little things that some of the crew did, too. Like having a door open for you or making sure I don't slip on my cleats while I get in the van because uh, the step's slippery. I mean, they were there watching out for my safety just as much as they were there trying to make us as fast as possible. 
And that's funny you say something as little as having a door open or keeping you from slipping because you broke the speed record by a mere three minutes. And uh, just think about all the opportunities in all those exchanges where that could be lost. And I think of the number of exchanges, and no, I don't want to go into detail about that because you do want to keep it kind of secret, um, but you can lose a ton of time in exchanges. And yes, you're a whole lot faster when you're uh, taking shorter pulls, but at the same time, that time where you're getting the new rider going, you've got a real potential to blow some speed. You're exactly right, but exactly wrong because you also can make a ton of time up. Um, if you've got a team working as fast as we did and congealing the way we did, we didn't lose time. We were actually making time on exchanges. We're not going to, again, strategy and whatever else. But so oh, it, it was huge. But the way I, I'll come back to the crew and the way we picked spots to stop, the way we picked exchanges made all the difference in the world. So instead of losing 30 seconds, we were losing zero. We were we were working like a well-oiled machine um, between the crew, the st- uh, the guys jumping in and out of the cars. I mean, I, it just dawned on me when Carl said it that God, those guys jumped out of the car what five hundred freaking times. I mean, we jumped out of the car. I don't know a hundred. They jumped out 500 times. I mean, that goes to these guys and how hard those men, women work behind the scenes to make this machine roll across. I love it. Freight train across the United States? Hell yeah. We were a freaking freight train, and it was all the backbone of our staff that were jumping in and out of the car, running to get food. I mean, when I heard Ursula saying that uh, it was just crazy because she didn't even have time to stop because we're rolling so freaking hard, hell yeah, but she just made it happen, and that's a lot of these people on this team. We just we just made it happen, and it was awesome. I mean, what a great experience, you know? So I do want to expound on that a little bit more because I've been doing this for 30 years uh, as a head official, as a race director, as a racer. And I've watched a lot of teams, and it's, I mean, you blow time on exchanges if you don't get them right. And like you said, yeah, you didn't lose any time, but the potential to lose time on those maneuvers is huge. And so to nail those is such a testament to you guys and your crew. It's incredible what you did. Um, And what I'd like to uh, get some more information from you about is, you know, you were saying that you had uh, some crew members join you from Facebook ads for the first time. You'd never met them before. And um, they stepped in and, and did a great job. Did you train them? We didn't train them. They stepped in and just joined like family. It was great. They took care of us 100%. And they made everything just flow and make us do our job and just ride 100%. They made it so smooth for us. Yeah, it did happen. We dealt with it. We just tried to keep it calm and patient and just roll through as a team and a family. 
Yeah, and I think the key to that was that we all came in with with the same goal. I mean, and that was the record. And um, so everybody had that goal in mind. And, you know, if you had, you know, personality things, you dealt with it very quickly and got back to that goal. And, and we're, we're moving towards that. The crew was there to support us. Uh, Tony put together a great, great plan so that even though we all met there and some met for the first time there, we all knew what we were doing before you got there because the plan was communicated and everybody was able to read that and and you know there really weren't questions to, to answer it was let's go execute and I don't want to just you know beat a dead horse but um, you know again I've I've been doing this for so long and and there seems to come those times where oh, I can't find my shorts or I can't find my shoes I can't find my helmet I can't find my gloves oh and uh, again potential of losing time but we can't emphasize enough that well-oiled machine I mean which is such a cliche but it's so fitting you guys were exactly that I mean we we took some time to like um, really pair up the new guys with the veterans I mean some of us have done this four times some of these crew has done this four times so I mean, that's the best person in a vehicle to explain to the other crew member exactly how this works. And I think, you know, maybe a couple of weeks before the start, some of the new crew members were like maybe a little nervous that like they didn't know what to do. But, you know, we just sort of tell them like, look, we've done this before. We, we know how, to, how this works. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll know what's going on within the first few hours of the race because you, know, you can read about it and we can explain it all to you. Um, and as far as like guys not being ready, I mean, we always had like the next guy with his helmet in hand, ready to jump out of the vehicle if needed. And if, you know, to your point, there are times where you might lose some time. We just don't exchange right there. We just keep going. Like somebody can ride for an extra minute or two. And we'll just get up the road and, and execute it perfectly next time. So, you know, we, had, we just avoid all those times of, you know, where we would lose time. And the reason I'm harping on this, I want other teams to learn from what you did in that, no, you don't have to lose time in these areas. You can keep it going. You can actually make time on other teams that are losing time in those situations. So, I mean, it was just phenomenal. Um, the other thing I'd really like to talk about before we get into the race is just how you guys brought the best out in each other. Uh, instead of that, I really noticed that in the early days, especially of team racing, where it's almost like you're fighting against the other people on your team. I want to be the fastest. And I have never sensed that ego from anybody. I think your egos are also no. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, there was never. You wanted each other to do really well. Right. I mean, as racers, I think we all have Type A personalities. Some people wear it on their sleeves. Some people are a little more, you know, calm about it. But, but it's true. We all bring the best out in each other, and and I think that's what's great about our team. You know. Our rotation normally on an eight-man, you have four guys that ride for twelve guys, twelve hours, and then another four guys, and they make it a competition between each other. We didn't do that. There's no set time where we know that it's just these two guys riding and they beat the other two guys average speed. The way we overlap things, that wasn't a consideration for us. You know, if someone was having a bad time, the other two guys come in, they motivate them, and that's what it was all about. You know, six hours on, uh, and then another six hours, two more guys come on. So. It was a constant rotation of different guys in at different shifts, so you always saw different people you were riding with. I love that, and uh, I mean that's another thing I've noticed was with some teams is that uh, teams I've been on, where oh you know I did most of the climbing, or I did most of this, or I put out more miles, or 
I don't think that mattered to you guys, which it shouldn't. It, it really didn't matter what everyone came in here was to beat that record. And Tony obviously can climb more than or faster than I can. So, yeah, I want him to be on the course if it's more climbing. If it's descending, Tony thinks Carl's a better descender, so Carl should be on the course at that point because it wasn't a competition of who can ride harder, who can ride more. It's how can the team get to that finish line to break that record. So, Chris, let's go ahead and get rolling with the race. Uh, the mood of everybody as you were at the, the neutral rollout going onto the bike path, um, again, there's places you can lose time right there as you're rolling out there because you're supposed to be going 15 miles an hour. And if you get stuck behind somebody who's doing 12 miles an hour, you're just creeping back. How did that get handled? Uh, we rolled out, and actually we did something different this year because of the eight-man. Uh, we rolled out with three of us and uh, went down the bike trail, uh, quickly caught the f team in front of us, who quickly caught the team in front of them, who quickly caught the team in front of them. And, uh, yes, so it was a warm-up at 15, 18 miles an hour all the way for nine miles or eight, seven, seven miles. And when we... When we got off, uh, they stopped the team and made them wait, and then they made us wait. And so we're, as we're, we're sitting there, stopped, waiting for our turn, and the official lets us go and game on. And we went as hard as we could. I mean, we laid it out from the beginning. All three of, all three of us. Rotating pulls for the next 40 minutes or whatever it was all the way until we, we dropped Phil off to transition in and um, passed I don't even know how many teams going full throttle um, because we knew we had five guys waiting, you know, and guys were already going to go to bed. Like they weren't on their shift. So let's waste them early because they're going to recover from a 35 minute effort. Um, so right away it was game on uh, right from the start. And the classic was, I knew we went fast when I got the KOM on that whole segment, and some guy's like, you did it in a car. And I'm like, no, I did it with my Ram team. <laughs> so during that time, there's a steep climb in there up to Pete Pinsier's house on uh, Sleeping Indian. And then a, a pretty fun descent. And uh, did the three stay together? There was no... I, mean, I don't know. I was sleeping. So <laughs> I actually didn't get to see it. I mean, all I knew is when they uh, they came off glass elevator, Demarky came by me like a freaking rocket and was yelling at me because I wasn't going fast enough on the transition. Is all I. So I really didn't even get to see anything because they came they came down that. I mean, what do we have a forty mile an hour tailwind on that? And I'm expecting a I'm expecting a transition at thirty miles an hour, and he came by at like. 45 miles an hour so i can't i can't speak much to the hill after uh glass elevator just only what we did after that and we you know you talk about the race and we it, it seemingly we got some really good luck uh we we basically outraced the weather so basically we're faster than the weather is that what we're, I mean, so I mean, because we had we had awesome luck. We 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 beat the bad storms. We had great winds for the most part, and you know, you know, you can't say you can't say enough about how the team gelled together. And like you said, I, I love it that no one had an ego. I mean, we were all out to to set a goal, and and that's just what we did. So, Chris, did you hit the brakes so that you could do the uh, transition at thirty miles an hour rather than forty five? 
<laughs> you know, this race was very unique in its own way. I'll tell you, there were there were times where uh, one in particular where Carl was coming so fast. Carl was coming so fast, I could not get up to speed, and boom, there he goes. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> the first, the fir- <laughs> for all of you who can't see my expression, the first one, I tried to man up and go with it, and that wasn't going to happen, so I had to pull off because he was going fast. But um, back to the race, um, if you were to ask me the one, there, there's two places in this race that were game changers for us. And no doubt about it, Kansas was it for us. We came out of Trinidad um, with a lead, with a good miles per hour average, and we hit these cross headwinds out of the south that I'm telling you, if, if experience wasn't there, because two years prior we hit those winds even a little bit worse, and it was detrimental to our failure, we could not wrap our heads around getting through it and I immediately I was on I was on um and I immediately looked at Tony and I said we have to go we have to go we have to average 28 miles an hour in a section we probably can't but we all have to and he said okay and then he's like I don't know like we might have to save it and Craig says no we're not saving anything it's here and now like over the next eight hours as a team we pounded so hard. I mean, we were pushing on those pedals, creating so much wattage to get through that, to make sure. Because the one thing I think we all know, especially the veterans, is you do not want to be behind the clock. There is no way. When you're behind the clock, when a tiny mistake happens, it's 10 times worse. When you're ahead of the clock and a tiny mistake happens, you can brush it off and move on. And so all of us, and we pushed and finally we started to hit Missouri and we started to get these little tailwinds and it was like, here we go. And it was like for the whole team, for everybody, the crew, everybody, um, we did it. And I was like, okay, here we go. Let's, let's rock and roll the next section. <laughs> correct, correct. Using it the way it needs to be yep. used. And it sounds like that's what you guys did. Yes, we did. Across. Yes, we did. Just watched our power and just made it happen. Like the hills were quite steep and quite hard. And it's just like when we got to altitude, that's what cracked me a lot was the altitude climbing. I think Wolf Creek. I had a little moment. <laughs> and But I just dealt with it and said, we got to go now. And it's just watch your power. And basically what we were called, we were sprinting up Wolf Creek, which was amazing. We just went full gas and just charged up that hill. It was amazing. And that's um, Caroline and Tara, a friend of mine, they were in uh, one of the media cars. They texted me and said, oh, my God, these guys are sprinting over Wolf Creek. 
Yeah, Phil, Chris, and Josh just crushed that climb, and I got to get a good recovery, and I was at the top on the TT bike ready to uh, rail the descent, and so I took a little bit longer pull knowing that I was on a descent and didn't have to do that much physical effort. It was more, you know, balancing the crosswinds, which allowed those guys to recover from their, you know, uh, them crushing the climb, so it worked out really, really well, and that's that's where, you know, really, you know, you talk about strategy, that's where really we, we just nobody put their, put their egos in check and put the right person on the right bike on the right part of the road and that was critical tony i want to ask you a change in strategy or anything because now the hard part starts you've gone through the mountains you've gone through the winds of kansas the big rollers in missouri you cross the mississippi everybody's feeling fatigue riders crew and now you're getting into the most trafficked part of the course um, how does that change what you're doing? Because now you've got something else that you really have to deal with. Well, kind of to Chris's point earlier, um, we kind of had to be ahead of the game by then because um, obviously once you hit the Appalachians, your average speed is going to drop a bit. Um, and then after the Appalachians, you're, you're just dealing with traffic all the time. So, you know, we're, we're out there, right, and, and we're like still – you know, hammering along at like 30 miles an hour, but our time stations are coming in at like 23, 24 because of all the stops. So, I mean, we knew we had to be pretty far ahead of the game by, by then. Um, and then it was just, you know, maintain and hope the, the overall average speed doesn't drop too much despite our best efforts. Like, you know, there's only so much luck you can have running all those lights green. Um, you know, so, you know, I think about, about a day out, we were pretty sure we were going to get the record because, you know, I think it doesn't matter too much how fast you go at that point because it's mostly just based on, on catching the lights. So, um, you know, it was, it was just good that we were that far ahead by that point. Um, and we, did, we still didn't lose very much, you know, over the last day. Um, so that was good, too. <laughs> so, Kurt, what was it, was it meaningful to you to have allied forces sending you messages and everything, you know, support, or were you even thinking about that? Yeah, and, and we talked about this in our interview a little bit before that but I, I was kind of off social media for a while and, and Craig was on it and he was kind of filling us in about it but it, it was pretty cool to see I mean we had we had a goal of, of beating their record and we pretty much felt like that was a done deal like maybe three or four days in because we were figuring out the math and we were like 60 or 70 miles ahead and then we kind of shifted gears and thought okay it'd be great if we broke their time record because you know we got the average speed but if we broke their time record and we rode 110 120 miles more that would be even more meaningful. So to see these guys come on and start posting, you know, posts about how, you know, they're cheering us on and stuff and they might not want to see us do it, but if they do, that's, they're totally ecstatic for us. I mean, it was pretty cool to see. It just shows you that Rams like one big family, you know, it's, everyone's gone through this experience and it's, it's a life changing experience. And it's something that I feel like a lot of riders should try to do because it's, it's just a once in a lifetime event. And I love that you came through this with nobody saying, oh, my gosh, Team Beamer did this, or we saw them doing this. It was it was just clean. And everybody I've talked to was, those guys were amazing, which is so fun to hear. I really like that a lot. And we had fun together, too. I mean, in the van, yeah, you take a couple minutes of recovery, and then you're hanging out with, two friends and two friend drivers and having a good time in the back of the van and you're off time the atmosphere almost 100 percent of the time in the rv it's a positive atmosphere and it was people i didn't know but we were a family and we got along it was 
very nice how we all gelled together for that one goal. So I want to get all of your take on eight man. I talked to Phil about that, and he was talking about how hard it was. And I go back to my first Ram in 1993, and we won four man, and I was excited, but I'd wanted to go solo. Uh, and I actually had a guy who's really a Ram legend. I saw him a little a little bit later the next year, and, and he was like, you didn't do Ram, you did Relay Ram. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, it took me a while. That really hurt. Um, but when I realized that relay Ram is Ram, it's its own race. And with the mindset that you went into this, that's the mindset you have to have when you go into this, because it is a race and it's its own event. Is it solo Ram? No, it's totally different. And, uh, I loved the way that you took that on. And I think what you did was brutally hard um and i'd just like to in conclusion get a little bit of input from each of you on that for people that are interested in doing ram looking at whatever division it is about that mindset that you need to have when you come into this race uh you do raise a good point and it's funny we were just talking about this last night a few of us um i think one of the advantages that we had or have is all of us are teammates outside of ram we all know we all race together. We're all USA Cycling licensed riders, and some of us have raced together for years and years. And the one thing that always matters to us is when we show up to a race, and we race Tulsa Tough the week before Ram. The goal is to win the race. The goal is not to get three in the top ten or two in the top five. The goal is to win the race. So, however that sets up. Tony, Phil, they might be our best guys on a certain course. Mike Carl might be a best guys on a different course. You know, I might be different. Kurt might be different. Josh is different. Craig is different. It's so the goal is to win the race. So however it plays out during the race, we all had that same attitude of winning. And no matter what, that's why we didn't have the infighting between riders or crew because we all had the same goal in mind to win the race, to set a goal and accomplish it. And we, we accomplished both. We got two world records because of it. And it's the attitude of the team and the crew. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I, I'll have to kind of go off that same thing. And it's, you know, the hard part about any race, and I think of any any division you're racing, is really to check your ego at the door. I mean, what really makes a strong team? I mean, we've got climbers, we've got time trialists, you know, we've got we've got we've got the mix, but it's 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 knowing your limits, it's knowing where you're good at, and and you know, when we were in the van, let's talk strategy and work through that strategy in the van. We were literally talking in the van where to drop people where not to drop people, where this person's going to be faster and that. So it's knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses and going from there. So my word to anybody else coming into Ram would be build a team of not one certain discipline, but you build it around multi-disciplines. And if you can work as a team, that's where you're going to accomplish your goal. Because, I mean, you look across this eight-man team and it's a very diverse group that worked very well together because we did check our egos at the door 
and we were okay with dropping somebody at the top of the hill. We were okay with dropping a climber at the bottom and, and a climber doing an eight-minute ma- uh, uh, eight pull instead of 15. We were completely okay with that. We just said, hey, this guy's better at this than I am. Go for it. So to me, that's that was the biggest thing and really our biggest asset that helped us accomplish the goal and what we did. And, you know, we, we kicked ass. I mean, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, Michael, Michael said it perfect. I don't know how to follow it up. You know, we just came together as like a perfect family. We all walked in and it just it clicked right at the door. It said, here's what we got to do. And we just went after it and we stuck together the whole entire race. So, yeah, I, I not part of this team, but did a four-person ram in the past and, uh, and then was asked to do to do this. And I was like, heck, yeah, twice as many folks, and I get to go as hard as I can and hold nothing back. And that was really appealing, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I didn't even realize how fun it was. It, it was it was even more fun than I expected. Um, you, you got real rest and you could really go as hard as you could. And, you know, like these guys said before me, you're in the van hanging out with your friends. I mean, and then you go out and you kill it for 15 minutes and hang out with your friends for 45. And in, in the uh, RV, probably the hardest part was choosing to go to sleep because you're hanging out with your friends. You're talking about the pulls you did. You're talking about the descent you did or the turn you took or whatever and just having a blast. And you're like, oh, but I really need rest and, you know, so I can go do it again later. Um, as far as advice for other folks that are interested in doing the event, get your friends together, get people that you want to spend a week together and do it. And I think that any any eight cyclists can can do this. I don't know that they can do it as fast as we did, but they can do it and have a great time and have a lot of fun and maybe dial it back. You don't need to be as intense as us and you know ride an hour at a time and then take seven hours off and have a great time. See the country. It was awesome. To continue on this point, I totally agree that it's eight people eight riders can do this event it's about what your goal is and you can do it as an eight-man team and have more fun with it or you could do it as a solo and maybe even remember it just because you're so uh, sleep deprived Um, but overall great event so glad I kind of hinted when these guys finished their four-man team that maybe an eight-man team might be a good idea and I might join them two years ago. Um, so I'm so glad that they did their four-man and that we expanded to an eight-man team and we got this experience together. So I kind of look at RAM and the different events uh, as kind of a, a, a con- continuum of endurance to speed. You know, like the, the solos are just endurance. Two man is endurance with a little bit of speed. You know, four man's combination, and eight man is just pure speed. So I think one of the great things this year is, especially Tony and I experienced, like in the past years, like we've dedicated our year to training for RAM, and that requires a lot of mileage, a lot of fast. Phil and Chris were more like, you know, continuing their racing, but this year we were able to just basically race and not have to worry about, you know, putting those huge, huge miles we did for for an eight for a four man. So I mean, if you break it down, if you ask anyone, okay, you know, we basically only rode three hours a day as an eight-man team but we did that in like you know 85 90 miles so if you look at it in that perspective it, it, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment but it just goes to show you that this eight-man is all about speed and not so much about endurance but it's just kind of a new thing for us which was which i liked yeah following up on what kurt was saying um i mean all the different disciplines they're all very difficult um 
but you know I mean I was kind of looking forward to doing an eight man because oh this will require less hours perhaps on the bike but it's no easier we're just going so much faster because you have to <laughs> um, you know half the volume means you better be going you know at least two miles an hour faster all the time um, so I mean I guess if I were to give any advice it would be you know ram is a lot more accessible than people might think it is you don't need a six-figure budget to do it you don't need the best riders in the world to do it you know you can just grab a bunch of people you know some friends to volunteer and you can go do ram and, and enjoy it you guys thanks so much for taking the time to talk uh, our banquet's getting started we got to make our way on in there to uh Get you some awards. <laughs> so from the Race Across America Mobile Studios at the Doubletree in Annapolis, I'm George Thomas. Thanks, George. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.